Mac Power Users, episode 201, Mac at Home, PC at Work. everyone this is my uh this is david sparks along with my pal katie floyd how are you katie floyd hey david i'm well have you you know we've only done this 200 times now yeah you'd think i could get the intro right after 200 (laughs) goes but hey that's me setting the bar lower every week uh and but with us this week is one of my very favorite guests of the show i think he's like the alec baldwin of the mac power users with the uh frequency of his appearances but the guy's just so darn useful we can't help but bring him around once in a while uh gabe weatherhead gabe welcome back to the show thanks i, I promise no public outbursts um uh, a little bit but if you have to stop to play words with friends at any point that's okay <laughs> okay uh, yeah thanks for having me again no yeah. looking forward to it yeah well uh, you, you know this were- show Go ahead, Katie. I was going to say, Gabe, you were kind of the genesis of the show a little bit, because when we did your workflow show, uh, it's been a couple dozen episodes now, you talked quite a bit about how you used a PC at work and some of the difficulties that that was was involved with that, especially when you use a Mac as your primary operating system at home. And we, we have this running list of show topics that we want to get to on occasion, and one of them on there was Mac at home, PC at work, and here we are, and we decided, well, maybe we could have Gabe come talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, yep. and, and, and frankly, we've got a lot of, you know, as usual, brilliant listeners who are dealing with this problem every day. And so we've been getting a ton of great feedback on the subject as well. And it is a real problem for people because uh, these Macs are pretty awesome, but there's a lot of companies you can work for that the IT departments aren't enlightened as Mac Drifter. And uh, they make it a little difficult for you to get going with the uh, Mac at work, as they say. Uh, before we start, though, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, first is, uh, I promised it two or three weeks ago. Now it's actually out there. You can go buy it. It's the presentation's field guide, Max Sparky field guide. It's it's not going to release until July 21, but it's out for pre-sale, which is something new for me. And I'd appreciate if you went and checked that out. David, and I did you, a cool you said that so casually. You, you just announced the fact that your next Max Sparky field guide is on presentations. Ta-da! Yeah, I've been yeah. working on it for some time. I the, the new design looks really great. So there's a lot of cool stuff to check out, including a video, which is the first time I've ever done one of those. So uh, go you check it out. See what your you own see. music video kind of thing. Yeah, we'll talk about it more when the book actually releases. But if you're interested in doing the pre-order thing or, or learning a little bit about it, we'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah, I am in the video. I mean, they we I went looking for pear-shaped actors, and I just decided to do it myself. Well, the the fees are probably more reasonable that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are pear shaped actors expensive these days? Uh, no, you just need a lot of donuts and Cheerios. Okay. And then the other announcement I wanted to make real quick is there is a a thing out there called a group out there called Macs in Law Offices. It's a Google group that's a really smart group of lawyers that talk about how they use their Mac, which is kind of appropriate for today's episode, frankly. Um, but really smart people. Um, but they do a every year in in uh, around October. They do their own little festival slash conference called Milo Fest, you know, Max and Law Office. And I know there's a really great speaker there this year called Katie Floyd. There is, it's yes. at Disney World. And if you're I know we have a lot of lawyers listening to the show. That's something you should go check out. I've, I haven't been myself because it's, uh, Florida is a long way away from California. And if I went to Disney World and didn't take my whole family, then 
Um, I would be in the doghouse, so I can't do that. But uh, Katie's going to be there, and it's something worth checking out. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be speaking. I'm actually, my topic, at, at least one right now, they've only got me speaking on one topic that could change. You never know, is on the highlights and lowlights of Mac OS X, OS 10 Yosemite. Can't say OS You X. said OS X. I know. I was just That's reading okay. it. Oh, and, yeah, I and can I can I tell you a secret? What? My mom is coming. Oh, that's cool. She went to Macworld and she's like, these Mac conferences, these are pretty cool. I'm going to come to more of these. I said, okay, well, there's one in Orlando in October. She's like, done. Well, that's a reason to go right there by itself to meet Katie's mom. I met her. She told me all the, the dirty little details, Katie. I'm yeah. just waiting for the opportune moment. And my mom's uh, not a lawyer. She just likes Disney World. So we're, we are, um, I, we only have Gabe for a limited amount of time. Uh, we want to, you know, protect his, his marriage and, <laughs> and keep him out of the doghouse. Yeah. But I did want to talk to an IT professional because I think this whole thing starts with the IT department. So often there's a lot of people that love their Macs and they've figured out things like OmniFocus and OmniGraffle and some of the other great Mac software we talk about on the show all the time, and they want to put it into the daily use, but they go to work and there's a sad PC on the desk that doesn't run that software, and somebody there with his arms crossed saying, Macs are terrible, you can't have those things around here. Now, that's a popular conception, Gabe. I, am, am, I, am I being unfair to your profession? Um, <clears throat> I think Macs have gotten better adoption than they ever have uh, ios has helped that you know um bring your own devices becoming more common but mostly with mobile devices right now i don't think it's a matter of just um blind bias it's uh i think it, and again i don't work in like an infrastructure group um i work with them so i i know some of the things that, that they've talked about but it's a matter of reducing complexity when your job is to manage a network and manage everybody's access to file shares and print servers and things like that. The more complex your computing environment, the harder your job becomes. And troubleshooting everybody's individual problem becomes, you know, part part of your daily activity. So if you can reduce that by, you know, basically saying, nope, you can't bring uh, can't bring a Mac into our environment because we don't want to worry about making it making our entire network compatible with it. Um, I was approached this year at Macworld by a guy who loves his Mac, who's an IT professional. And he said kind mm -hmm. of the same thing. He said, look, we have spent literally millions of dollars at our company to have everything secure and locked down and under control. And I have this team of IT people that work for me. And if I add a Mac to the mix, they just don't know how to handle it. And it's going to cost me so much in labor to fix it. And it's, and we just, it's just not worth it. Even though I love my Mac and, the guy made, makes a point, I guess, but it's hard for me to accept. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the security is is a minor part of it, but the irony is um, that, at least in my opinion, by not allowing more bring your own device type type of computing environment, people are using web services that then, unless you're going to block, you know, network traffic, uh, now you've lost complete control over what people are putting into cloud services and sending in and out of the company. Um, versus if you, if you give them access to it right on their device, you know, install the corporate Dropbox or corporate Evernote or something like that, then they're going to use the one that you bless versus the one that they can just log into with their normal user ID. And, and another argument I made to the guy was, hey, 
you the the thing you're not taking in consideration is the Mac has the best software of any computing of any computer. I mean, as I'm talking in terms of a computer that sits on a desk out there. I mean, I would put the Mac software developers up against anybody writing for Windows or Unix. Absolutely. And as a result, as a user, I get things done on my Mac twice as fast as I do on a PC. And this isn't because I don't work on a PC because I've worked on a PC a lot, but the Mac stuff is just better. And who takes into account uh, the the productivity gained to the company from employees that can get their work done faster? Well, I, I see it from both sides because, uh, you know, to be frank, uh, even with PCs, you don't get to just install whatever software you want. It, it has to go through an approval process in most enterprise environments. And yeah, partly because they don't want a help desk getting a call saying, you know, Scrivener doesn't work with this file. Please help me. Like, that's not what they're there for. And they don't even know what Scrivener is, right? Um, so there's kind of this arbitration process to get software into the the environment. I'm so glad you're here, Gabe, because I just want to light trash cans on fire and throw them through windows. <laughs> and I, you're sitting here telling me why I can't. I think no, I suffer to... from this every day, but I do, I do see where it comes from. I, I don't agree with it all. And uh, trust me, I've asked multiple times when we can get uh, bring our own Macs in. I'd, I'd happily go spend a couple thousand dollars on my own MacBook Pro to bring it into the office, but yeah, it's a uh, no go. And David, I think you have to realize there's there's a big difference between a twenty person company and a two hundred person company and a two thousand person company in terms of just levels of management. That twenty person company probably doesn't have a dedicated IT person. They maybe they have somebody part time, or maybe they just have someone in the office who this is their hobby, or maybe they have an outside service. And maybe bringing in a Mac in one of those companies, which I think is is probably more the size of company that you or I work in, is not going to burn the place down, is not going to be a big deal in terms of resources and training. But when you do that on a scale of a 200 or a 2,000 person company, now you're just exponentially blowing that problem up potentially. So I understand it. Yeah. But but the interesting aspect of this, I think, um, is iOS, because like that's where the door cracked open a little bit and, you know, CEOs, CFOs start showing up to work with their new iPhone and they're like, I want my email. And so then it's okay. Exchange support. And, you know, it kind of gradually grows from there. Well, I want to get on Wi-Fi. I don't want to use my cellular data all the time. And okay. So we have a special way for you to access Wi-Fi. And then it's, well, we're going to deploy our own iOS app into the field. Well, now we need people with Xcode or, you know, at least someone who can look at the builds or something like that. Um, before that, like really the only place that we, we had Macs was like in corporate communications where they do graphic work. Yeah. Or, or just creative work in general. There was mm -hmm. a lot of Macs, but it, they call it a top down, you know, transition yeah. versus bottom up, which was very difficult. If the guy making $20,000 a year comes in with a Mac, he gets nothing but grief. But if the guy who writes the checks for the IT department shows up with a Mac, then all of a sudden they start figuring out ways to make them work on the network. <laughs> That's right. It's all, it's all about your uh, annual goals. <laughs> yeah. Those get decided top down. So, uh, and Katie and I are going to spend a lot of the show talking about how we deal with like issues like app parity and cloud storage and syncing and the, that mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't know how long you get to stick around, but what I w did want to ask you is from your perspective as someone who deals with IT issues every day, 
Uh, how much better is this problem getting for Mac users? Oh, it's uh, it's it's gotten tremendously better. I mean, I, I started this like um, dual lifestyle um, years and years ago, and it was so difficult, like carrying around thumb drives, right, with data on it. Oh, I want to have my files with me on my Mac, and then I sync it at night, and I bring it in, and I connect to my PC. And then, you know, lawyers got involved. <laughs> like, okay, well, lock down thumb drives. We don't want people being able to connect thumb drives. So then that kind of died away. And now we're to this new point where it's like every major service that I know of has some type of web access to, to it. Um, and it, it's just, it's become like a no brainer for me. If I'm looking for a new like note service or calendar service or whatever, it has to have a web interface to it. And, and that's, it's becoming easier and easier to find those. Yeah. It does seem to me like independent of it departments, willingness to, adopt Macs and other Apple products into their network, we've got this underlying engine change to the way we do business with computers anymore, where it used to be a model where you had a server in an office that served data to each computer and you had proprietary software that accessed that data through the local server. Now everything is going cloud-based and you may have proprietary software, but you may just as likely have a web browser that accesses the data. And if you look like contact databases, I mean, for salespeople, that's one of the most valuable things they have is their sales leads and the history and the account information. And I don't know of anybody that doesn't do that stuff on a web-based solution anymore. I mean, those things have just become so popular and they're everywhere that I think most companies have, have done that. And that solves the Mac versus PC question for those people by mm -hmm. virtue of putting everything in the browser. And the other thing that's happened is browsers have become just ridiculously awesome. Yeah. I mean, incompatible. So browsers are super powerful and uh, they're more and more, you know, following standards, even as they break into new ground and HTML5 and everything. It, it's becoming easier to, to use different browsers with different services. It used to be, I mean, you remember the days when like things would work really great in, in uh, Internet Explorer and terrible and everything else. Yeah, well, that, and that, that's kind of an old story, but I mean, Microsoft tried to take over the internet yep. mm -hmm. by the way they designed Internet Explorer, and, and they frankly backed off that. I mean, I think they kind of see it now, and Microsoft is actually trying to get Explorer to be much more compliant than they ever did in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's, I think, because they realize, still in the corporate world, i.e. wins, I mean, pretty much um, every... Every application we use, at least at work, that is a web app, um, you know, supports IE first. But we started seeing a couple of years ago Chrome coming into the mix and like, okay, we work with IE and Chrome. And now we're getting recommendations from vendors saying, actually, Chrome is our preferred browser. Uh, IE is second. And I think that's because of this shift that people are like working from home and, you know, they, they want to use the same services at home, but they don't want to use IE when they go home. I mean, at the end of the day, the job is with computers in the workplace to make it easier for the workers to do their work and to, and to enable them to do better work. And that's why I feel like that um, companies need to to really think about limiting an employee's willingness to use some device. I mean, if someone came in and they wanted to use a Linux machine, if they felt like that's what they were going to get their work done with and they could prove to me that they would be more efficient with that, I'd be like, go for it.
And yeah, but but it's all about a risk assessment too. I, I hate using these words. These are these are work words. I, I feel weird using them when I'm at home. Um, but you do an assessment, right? And if there's a concern that let's say you let somebody bring in their laptop, they load it up with corporate data, and they lose it, right? And it's not a laptop that you can remotely wipe or you know, that, you know, is encrypted or whatever, depending upon what their job is, that could be extremely high risk. And the payoff for the increased efficiency isn't there relative to the, to yeah. the risk. Yeah. I heard it at KFC, they, they lock down everything. Cause that's the seven secret herbs and spices, man. Yeah. That makes some good chicken. They can't get that out of there. Yep. Yes, same thing with pharmaceutical companies. Uh, but you know, I, <laughs> I, idea. I ironically, ironically, I, I guess because I do actually, I don't talk about this much on the show, but I do a lot of trade secret law in in the day job, and boy, so often it just takes one, you know, Yahoo with a with a you know USB plug in drive, and usually your your network gets compromised. It, it doesn't yeah. take much. Mm-mm. Did you see that thing? And I'm off topic for just a little bit where they, there was a challenge and they were going to pay somebody X thousand dollars if they could break into their network. And it was a sliding scale where he got paid more the, the quicker you could break in. And all the hacker did was he got a, a pile of thumb drives and he loaded a virus on them <laughs> and, and he put them in an ashtray in the waiting area of the building. Yeah. That's a, that's an old that goes back to um is that like a Snopes thing? Am I totally what, off? No, no, no. But but that idea of the thumb drive is in uh what is it? Ghost in the Wires is the book by um oh what's his name? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember yeah. his name either. Um, Mitnick, yeah. right? And he t- he talks about that. You know, usually the the easiest vector for attacking a, a company that way is social engineering, right? You put you take a thumb drive and you put payroll on the front of it and drop it in the lobby and somebody will pick it up and insert it. So between, so between a combination of web services and web-based data, making it easier for people to go multi-platform and frankly, Apple has got more friendly towards the enterprise. And going back to your point about Mm -hmm. iOS, Apple's gone a long way with making iOS friendly to the enterprise. Yeah. They, they work hard to make exchange work extremely well and it was a big deal you remember one of the versions of ios had an exchange bug yeah and, everybody uh, went they crazy. fixed that real quick yeah <laughs> that was yeah. It was, a, it was pretty serious so um it, i mean i go to meetings and the vast majority of everybody in the meeting has an iphone or an ipad mm-hmm. or both and and the funny thing is as the mobile devices uh, expand and i'm not an expert on this but i do see the articles and the statistics about the amount of viruses and other problems that people are having with Android devices versus the iPhone. And, uh, you know, I just don't keep up with it as much as I I should, but even Tim Cook made reference to it in the last WWDC keynote. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, what did he, like a toxic hell stew or something. He had some (laughs) funny name for it. It's actually no joke. I know companies that, that don't allow Android, not because of the viruses specifically, but because there's so much more, easily manipulated by the owner of the device. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's just too many things for them to consider and they just don't want to deal with it. Again, it's that whole threshold of like risk relative to the payoff. And once you reach this point where you're like, well, we have to train these people to be experts in how to manage Android devices, then, then it's kind of like not worth it at that point. And, and then, so the iPhone starts getting traction, the iPad 
is a great executive device in terms of giving quick access, nice big screen, blah, blah, blah. And then those people find their ways into an Apple store for one reason or another and pick up a Mac too. And suddenly it's becoming a, an easier thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I know lots of people at work that are Mac people at home. It's, it's super common. But it was several years ago, I showed up to work one day and I, I was, you know, it was an experiment with my... Uh, on my own, uh, I, I wanted to try to use OmniFocus through my Mac and then, you know, on the side of my desk. And I got the weirdest looks like, what do you what is that computer doing in here? <laughs> you know, it's like I brought my dog to work and set it on my desk or something. Yeah, I did that for a while with OmniFocus on the iPad when it first shipped because I was spending a lot of time on the PC at the time. And I would just keep OmniFocus open all day. Mm -hmm. and, and that was before I believe they had the speech to text recognition, which would make it even easier now. Uh, but it worked out okay. But, you know, it, and there's certain pieces of it that it's all kind of kludgy at the end of the yep. day because the software is not really made for PC. So are you going to run two machines? And yep. when you get an email, are you going to send it off to your magic OmniFocus address? Or does your IT even permit that? I mean, can you yep. ship an email if it's got pharmaceutical you know, concoctions in it off to someone else to put into your task list. Yeah, it still requires you to be smart. Again, social engineering is the, uh, you know, the people are always going to be the weakest link, um, not the computers. But I, I keep an iPad with a Zag keyboard on my desk all the time. And and I that's how I ended up actually using uh, OmniFocus for a really long time, uh, primarily because I, I stopped getting weird looks. Stop getting those raised eyebrows of like why I had this computer there. It's just this this perception of like the iPad's not threatening. Um, whereas an entire where apparently if the screen's a little bit larger and the keyboard's a little bit larger, uh, it, it's more threatening. So well, was the uh, perception that you were doing something wrong with it? Was the perception that you you must be up to something or? Yeah, it, it, this is all in my head, right? It, but it was the, right. that uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't have a computer from home at work. All right. One of the, so I see several problems that people face with the Mac at home and PC at work. I mean, the first one, which I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute is what I call it lockdown. And I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. Yep. Then there's the subject of app parity. You know, what, how are you going to make the applications work between them when you're, when you are using two different, uh, brands or operating systems. Then there's the issue of syncing data and cloud sharing. And we've been dancing around this IT lockdown issue for some time. Uh, but what is your advice to someone out there that is in the 2000 person company who wants to bring a Mac to work and they just shake their head? No. Well, well, <laughs> my suggestion is if you want to keep your Quit job your and they job. tell you don't bring your Mac, no. <laughs> uh, don't bring your Mac and try to connect it to the network. It just won't work. Um, and, and then you'll get even more trouble plugging an Ethernet cable into that thing. Um, Am I crazy to say, well, you should bring it up with them and you should, ex you know, oh, yeah. why, why Most not? Most of them are, are totally receptive and they'll give you like, you know, pretty straight answers to why not. I mean, when I've asked, it's basically like, it's not in our budget. We don't have a mandate to do it. It's, there's no, it's not. There's no compelling reason for us to do it right now. Eventually, I think there will be this complete transition to bring your own device. And the way networks are, are managed is changing. And the ability to lock people out like instantaneously based on hardware addresses and things like that is, is you know, greatly improved. Uh, are, so you you one can, of, are you one of those Meraki zealots? <laughs> 
<laughs> what is that? The Meraki routers. Have you heard of these things? They're crazy. No. Uh, IT manager. We, we could almost do a show on this. It's a great, great um, uh, networking device. You plug it in and they're not cheap. They're like, I think they start at like 1200 bucks, but okay. your IT manager can log on from any in the world place in the world. See everybody plugged into the network. They can turn them off, turn them on, see exactly what they're doing. It's kind of revolutionary. Yeah, the enterprise level stuff is is kind of the same way. Like you yeah. can you can narrow it down to like this machine specifically can only you know visit this UR one URL. Yeah, like that's I, it. I, I'm so. with you. I think my first bit of advice to someone is look, don't get yourself fired because you're a Mac Power user. Yeah, but talk to people about it. That's how that's how they know that there's interest. Really, like yeah. that's how they gauge interest. And I also think that it's worth time to figure out whether you're dealing with people who are uh, sympathetic or people who are that, Hey, it's only one way it's Microsoft way. And and if you need to find out what you're dealing with, because if they're sympathetic, that gives you a toehold. And then I say, go in there and show them something like OmniFocus or show them, you know, text expander in Microsoft word and show them how efficient you can be. And a lot of guys, it are just as big a geeks as the people listening to the show, if not bigger and, and, you know, convert them to your cause. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, they're, they're human beings and they understand people like cool technology. I think in the old days, it was more futile to futile to ask it for, for those types of favors. Cause the, the way they viewed it was like the average worker knew nothing about computers. They came in, they typed into a word processor all day. And that was the end of their day. So to have you get tried, a request. Have, yeah. Have was, you tried turning like, it off and turn it back on again? Yeah, exactly. And, and now they appreciate that like people are much more sophisticated. And in fact, expect it's made expectations for software just like so incredibly high because people use Evernote and, you know, they use webmail from iCloud and it looks gorgeous. And like it, people just have these really high standards now of how everything should work. Um, and so the requests are pretty sophisticated when they come in. So don't be afraid to talk to the IT guys. They, I mean, they're just normal people, but don't be prepared that it will take a lot of talking for a very long time. Kitty, did I interrupt you a minute ago? Go for it. Did we lose you? Okay. Katie's still here. Yeah. Well, so I guess at some point, you know, my first solution is to try and talk to them, you know, share a burrito, try and get them to work on your side. The next thing is they say, you know, it's just not going to happen like Gabe has. We don't have the budget for it. I think the next step you start saying, OK, well, how do if I'm going to be sitting at a PC all day, um, how do I make it work so I can still, you know, use the goodness of my Mac and other Apple hardware when I'm not sitting at this PC and still get work done? Yeah, I, I think. um pick and choose your, your, you know, your battles one at a time. Um, what is the thing that you really need to be made available? And, and again, what's the goal? Is it to be available at work and at home? Is that, is that the whole need? If it's a, if it's a single purpose thing that I would only ever do at work, it doesn't really matter to me if it's a web app or whether or not I can access it from home. I mean, I can, I can VPN from home if I really need to do like high level stuff, but like note taking, I, I kind of want all my notes everywhere because I, I will review work notes when I'm at home um, or calendars. You know, I want to pop something into my personal calendar. I need access to it when I'm at work. 
Yeah. Let, let me know, stop like right that. there. Let me stop right there then for a minute. So that, that first category you talked to, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners dealing with that. I, I deal with this problem. We have a, a application, a PC based application that in my opinion is a complete pig and I'm not going to name it cause I want to get sued, but you know, it's a law practice management software uh, that is ancient and to do anything, you have to click the mouse like six or seven times. I counted one day and nothing is keyboard based and it's just, it's just terrible. And, uh, and that's the one program I still use routinely on the PC. So my solution was not to install windows on my Mac and try and keep it running and deal with all the headaches that come with this software that requires a network connection and and I don't know, it requires a magic incantation not to crash. So I instead um, uh, just put in remote access software. You know, in fact, I, I went with Jump Desktop. I've used a, a Microsoft's RDC client in the past, but now I'm using Jump Desktop. And then we, I worked with my IT people, and I've got a tunnel, a secure tunnel into the PC that sits in the corner of my office. And when I need to get in there, I jump in and do that. Now, is that something that would work in a bigger company? I would think it would. Um, yeah, if you can get remote access to the machine. That, that's also going to be up to your IT group. Um, the, the, the reality is, if we ever do go to this place where you can bring in your own PC, is it's probably going to be like through a virtual machine running on, on your Mac that actually does run Windows. Um, so you'll be booted into Windows anyways. Um, just because, yeah, driver support and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, if you have if you have remote desktop access, then that's awesome. But you need to have that machine running. Is uh, yeah, is the is the downside. And if that machine, if they do a patch overnight and somehow boots the machine up in a weird state, then you need access to that. You're out of luck. Yeah, and you you just kind of passed over something that's kind of important: the idea of these virtualized PCs, which is increasingly becoming a thing for IT people. Mm -hmm. In fact, yeah. it's, it seems to me like it's kind of the sexy new thing, right? Everybody wants to start setting up virtualized machines because it's so easy for you guys to rebuild a machine. You just create an image of it, just like for a Mac Power user that's running um, Parallels on their machine. They know that Parallels is really just a big, you know, seven gigabyte file your windows install is like a seven gigabyte file. And that's one of the things I tell people, once you get parallels installed and windows set up, you just immediately back up that windows seven gigabyte or whatever size it is off to a little external drive or save it to your NAS drive or something. And that way, if things ever get corrupted, you can just copy that over and you're back in business. Well, yeah. And, and actually in the enterprise, it's, it's a, driven a little bit different way, but yeah, VMs are really common now. Like it, it's, it's particularly in infrastructure and it's not, it's, it, it's because you can say, uh, you know, right now this, this task only requires four gigabytes of Ram and in, you know, one CPU and everything's chugging along fine. And suddenly you decide you're going to do some stuff for a couple of weeks and it needs 16 gigabytes of Ram. Yeah. So, you don't want to buy a whole new server. You don't want to buy a whole new blade or something like that. So you, you do a VM. And so, so IT department wants to do VMs. They love it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it makes yeah. their job easier. Yeah. So if you go to them and they say, you can't, you know, run all our software on your silly little Mac, but then you say, well, why don't you set up my PC as a VM? And then you can access it from your Mac and it's running on their server. It's the, the software setup that they want. 
And it's essentially a window on your Mac, and you can still run your OmniFocus or whatever you want to run on the Mac on the other side. They don't see it. It doesn't corrupt their data, and you still have access. I think that's a really good solution for people. Yeah. Uh, go to, actually, go to my PC is pretty, pretty common um, as, a, as a remote access to a, to a Windows machine. It doesn't yeah. have to be a VM in that case. It can be anything. Um, but, it, but again, you want to check with IT. Don't just set this stuff up. Yeah. Well, yeah, Zen Desktop is another one that's pretty common in the enterprise. Yeah, and I think that's the the overarching thing is you want to make friends with the IT person because if they shut a door on you, they might open a window. They might say, "Well, no, you can't bring your Mac in, but maybe we can let you install this software on your PC if this is what it it helps you do, or maybe we can let you have a limited Dropbox, or maybe we can let you have Evernote, or maybe we can let you have something else." Because the answer. May It may just be completely no, everything's locked down and we're running it, but it may be, well, we can't do that, but maybe we can do this for you. Mm-hmm. There, and we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that a little later in the show. There, there are lots of degrees of ways that you can get around these things. So uh, I work it, in an environment that is, it, it's locked down. We don't have Dropbox. We don't have Evernote installed. We, none of that stuff. All the software has to be approved. Um, that presents its own challenges in that case. And, and in this particular case, it's decided that's a security risk um, to go that way. And, um, you know, whether or not we'll ever have access to that is is unknown. But, you know, my hope is eventually, especially since Dropbox and Evernote both have like enterprise type corporate versions, um, that's a way that, that we can go. But I, I get the impression that as much as IT guys used to dislike Macs, uh, their dislike of Dropbox is about 10 times that. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> yeah. it's just my impression. Maybe I'm entirely wrong, but yeah, the Dropbox idea is of, the new thumb drive. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. The, the idea that anybody working for you can hook up to the internet somehow and just easily share files to, to some server that they don't control just must get make, you know, they wake up at night terrors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the whole reason um, to, to look at like the enterprise version of these services is because then you get management tools that can, you can say this person left the company, wipe their drive, their Dropbox. I've always right. felt like box seemed like it had more robust kind of management services for a company run, you know, Dropbox yeah, type file sharing. The, um, I want to talk about app parity. And once again, Gabe, I, I don't want you to get in the doghouse over this podcast. <laughs> so we're uh, recording for this now. For the listeners, we're recording kind of late. Gabe's got children sleeping close by, and he's he's here just for us because he loves us. So, uh, But I, I don't want to get him in trouble because I'm, 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 I'm good for now. I'm an good unhappy now. Mac drifter is not, not a good thing. <laughs> Um, but uh, I want to talk about app parity. But before we do that, let's take a minute to talk about our first sponsor today. Yeah. And our first sponsor for this episode is an exclusive sponsor. And that is our good friends over at Smile and their apps, PDF Pen. Now, I personally use a Mac at work. And one of the main reasons that I use a Mac at work is so that I can have some of the great apps that Smile makes. Top of those being PDF Pen and Text Expander, because I'm so much more productive with those apps than I are than I am with their PC counterparts. And in some cases, there aren't PC counterparts, but we'll talk about those. But PDF Pen is, it really has become my default uh, PDF utility on the Mac. It will allow you to read PDFs, but it will also allow you to edit PDFs. So you can do 
anything from you can add a signature. So if you want to uh, sign your name to a piece of paper, scan it in, and uh, you can import it into PDF Pen, and now you've got your signature or your initials or whatever to documents. You can make changes to PDFs. If you highlight some text and you want to change a word or two around, you can do that to fix typos. You can also OCR scan documents, which is wonderful because uh, it will take the text that has actually been scanned on there and turn them into a readable format. Uh, you can fill out forms. And brand new in version 6 is a feature that has saved my bacon more often than not, and that is support for Microsoft Word export. In fact, just the other day, um, something happened and I was working on a multi-page pleading. It was, you know, five or seven pages long and I saved it, but I think, I swear it was somebody else, it wasn't me, who had access to the network drive in the office, saved over it. Because when I went back the next day, um, my document was gone and somebody else's document was in their place. And I think they just went to grab my document as a placeholder and then accidentally saved instead of saved as, and boom, my document was gone. But fortunately, I had a printed out copy, a fairly clean printed out copy of that document. So I just scanned it in using my trusty ScanSnap and opened it up with PDF Pen exported it to Word, and I was back in business within just a few minutes. And the formatting came in. It, it did an absolutely great job in, in converting the formatting and, and reading it for me. And uh, PDF Pen saved the day yet again. So um, you can do all of these things with, with PDF Pen and, and so much more. Uh, there's a video on their website if you want to learn more about it. There's a free trial that's available. Um, or when you're ready to buy, you can go pick it up for $59.95. It's available either in the Mac App Store if you want to use it for iCloud support, um, or you can buy direct from Smile. So uh, check out PDF Pen from Smile. It's at smilesoftware.com slash PDF Pen. Uh, and let them know that Mac Power users sent you. And we'll be talking more about them a little bit later in the show. Okay, so let's say that you can't just make your office machine magically run through a virtual machine or some other, you know, technique that we've talked about in the show. Let's talk, but you do want to use your Mac at home to get some work done. Uh, I want to, that is completely doable in my opinion, in a lot of ways, even if you work at the 2000 company, 2000 person company, and it, and it does kind of depend on what kind of work you do. But for a lot of the stuff we do, the nuts and bolts, you know, getting work done, uh, stuff you can make it happen on a mac and i i'd like to start with kind of the office suite you know the the 800 pound gorilla of all this is microsoft office um it's it is a good application on the mac i i've actually written poorly about it recently because i found that word was crashing for me quite a bit i talked about it on mm -hmm. the show and somebody wrote in and said turn off smart copy and paste and <laughs> You know, and there is something wrong with smart copy and paste in Microsoft Word, uh, the current build of it. And it was causing me to have these random crashes. In fact, Katie's the one who really nailed it for me. Because on the show, she said, when I was complaining about it, to put it nicely. Yeah. Katie says, yeah, it always happens when I'm copying and pasting stuff. And it occurred to me, yeah, that's that's the case. And smart listener wrote in and said, oh, just turn off smart copy and paste. And that fixed it for me. So that's a little bit of a rant. But the bottom line is... You can put Microsoft Office on your Mac, and the goal of the Microsoft Office team, which is, by the way, a group of people who love Macs. You know, they, there are people that work at Microsoft that love Macs, and they really do try and make this a great product. They don't try to make it 
a mirror image of the PC version. They try to make it a Mac-like version of Microsoft Office, but they do make it a focus of uh, of the application is to make parity between the file formats on the Mac and the PC. You don't have the same focus in the Pages team at Apple. I mean, they do allow you to open and save Microsoft Word, but that's like not the number one thing on their list. So uh, that being said, if you're working at a place that's using Microsoft Office, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to work on those files on your Mac with an Office account. And in yeah, fact, even on your totally compatible. In fact, even on your iPad now, if you have an Office 365 account or a way to share those files back and forth on on iPad, uh, Office has done a very good job with Office for iPad and sharing via Office 365. That's that's certainly the direction that they're heading. Okay, what were you going to say? I just, I was going to say, yeah, they're completely compatible. And, and the one that um, usually gets me, because uh, we do a lot in PowerPoint, unfortunately, um, is, you know, PowerPoint compatibility is, is pretty good. And it, there has, there have been occasions, I will admit, that I've used Microsoft Office for, for working on PowerPoint um, documents. Okay, so just to go back to the beginning of the show, there's a new Max Barkey Field guide out called Presentations. And hopefully I will cure you of that problem. <laughs> yeah, well, like, again, I, if I don't have a Mac to present with, I, I, I have limited options for uh, the actual presentation. And I, but, I do bare, bone, bare bones presentations. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah. I'm old school. Well, yeah, it's so. funny. I On that subject, that's one of the things that's kind of funny. I think Keynote is superior to PowerPoint. And, um, oh, yeah. It's the focus of the book is not PowerPoint, but I know people who hate Macs that own one and they, it's a laptop they keep in a desk drawer. And every time they give a presentation, they pull it out and boot up Keynote. Um, but that's a whole nother story. But either way, it is. I great. do think, you know, what Katie was saying about the um, the idea of Office being easier to access is a big deal because Microsoft has switched the business model. They're not going to charge you $500 every couple of years to buy the new version. They're going to charge you essentially $100 a year. Um, to get a subscription. And if you're in a, if you're in the 2000 person company, you're not paying the hundred dollars a year. You know, the company's right. paying some reduced amount because they're buying in volume, but you're going to have a Microsoft office account and in general, and Gabe, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I know with the personal account you can get, I believe it's up to five installs of the software. So you can install it on the PC at your office. You can install it on your Mac and you can run it on your iPad now. Yeah, and and that's if your company goes with the 365 stuff. Um, the the other option that is available to some people, um, based on how well they negotiated with Microsoft, is um, that you can get uh, an install at home. So basically, you get to download the entire Microsoft Office package installer, and for your Mac, and install the full version of Microsoft Office. Um, the idea there is to let people work on things when they need to work on things. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's something that you definitely want to check with, with your IT group on, because often that's, that kind of information is hidden. Like no, the only, the people in the know have it installed at home, but it's, com, you know, completely free to the end user to, to get it and install it on their home machine. 
So I, I, I want people listening at home that are dealing with this problem to start building their checklist now, right? <laughs> so first thing you do is you go into IT and say, hey, I would just like to use my, my Mac. And they're like, ah, that's not going to happen. And then you say, well, I'd like a virtualized machine where I can just access the PC through my Mac. Ah, that's not going to happen. Then we get to, okay, so now I need you guys to get Office installed on my Mac so I can work. You know, <laughs> We're going to go down the list. So by the time you get the end of the show, you're going to go in there. And if nothing else, you're just going to scare the hell out of them how much you know about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you'll make a few friends along the way. And, and probably the second, the, the last resort is when you get to talking about all the web services that you can use as alternatives. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be the, that'll be the, uh, the knife to their gut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, look, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but, <laughs> yeah. but I could be using Dropbox and Evernote and the through a web browser yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, um, but on the Microsoft Office front, so if you've got a company that works through 365, quite often that comes with a space. It used to be called SkyDrive. Now, is it OneDrive? What do they call Live it now? Drive? Yeah. OneDrive? One OneDrive, isn't it? Uh, it, it? Maybe they renamed it this week. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Microsoft <laughs> has, in essence, their own files in a cloud solution. And if your company is working through that, that really makes it simple for you to get those documents between work and home and be able just to continue where you left off. Yeah. And they've, they've put a lot of attention on one, what is it? One note. Yeah. Um, is, is there other product which they focus a lot on home use and work use? And one note I thought, so there was a time in my life where I was given a, a, cause I've always been into tablets. I had back in the, the heyday of Bill Gates, I had at one point a tablet PC. And I thought it was junk. I mean, I didn't, I gave back to him. I didn't even, cause it's like, it was really hot and it was really heavy. And to get it started, basically all the problems the iPad solved were obvious with this device 10 years ago. But mm -hmm. the, um, but the one shining light of the whole thing was this, was this one, uh, one note application, which I thought micro, it was the only ap application Microsoft designed for a tablet. And it was brilliant. I mean, it, it worked really great. It, it understood the interface. It didn't have tiny little buttons. And so that's been evolving, but I think Microsoft had this gym there the whole time, but they weren't really pushing it hard enough or people weren't really getting it and tablets didn't take off. And then all of a sudden now the blue Evernote just becomes this like force of nature. Yeah. And, and this is Microsoft's answer to Evernote, you know, and the IT people who love Microsoft are going to say, don't use Evernote, use OneNote. And for a lot of people, that might be good enough for you. And now OneNote exists on the Mac and on the iPad, and they've got the same access to the Microsoft Store data. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's a realistic option. And, the, and OneNote integrates with all the Microsoft products, too. Um, but but one, OneNote is just, seems so sad to me because I remember using like OneNote 1.0 and thinking, wow, this is amazing. This idea that like it's a notebook, but electronic. Yeah. And like that was so far ahead of anything else out there. And then it just kind of like languished and they refused to put it on any other platforms or make it available in any other way. And then Evernote, you know, basically um, stole their, their milkshake. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting with Microsoft. I mean, and, and I hope Apple is taking notes because they had so much control, but then they got so much arrogance about it that 
the world just moved past them without them even realizing it. I mean, because they, they had it and, you know, they were really early out there with the, with the mobile platforms, but they never really embraced it. They were out there early with tablets and they never really embraced it. They were out there early with stuff like OneNote. I don't know. There's probably a show in that somewhere. <laughs> it's it's hard to know with these big companies, why they fail to succeed at, uh, you know, one product and not another or one category and not another. Okay. Yeah, but but I think the takeaway here is if if you're using Microsoft Office in the day job on your PC, you can get a lot of work done at home. And mm-hmm. the solution is pretty simple. You just get yourself a copy of Microsoft Office on your home computer. Yeah. And whatever application you work in, you're going to be just fine. I I just had a conversation with a um an attorney uh, in the middle of selling a case and I, I was there and I was telling him, yeah, I just send the tech, the, the file off to my secretary is plain text. I don't really like to do the format. And he's like, Oh, that's cause you have a Mac. Right. And I was thinking, no, you moron. It's because he, uh, <laughs> it's not that I just don't want to do the formatting. <laughs> yeah. I actually prefer, I mean, I could use Microsoft word when, wherever yeah. I wanted to, but I, I prefer to work in plain text and yeah. you know, it works great. That, yeah. That's that's my thing. I, I don't, I do all the formatting at the very end before the final document is produced, but yeah. all the writing, all the editing is in plain text. It's just, just yeah, the that, way I think. That's in my outline. It's called the plain text gambit. If you're yeah. working at home and for some reason you can't get office on your machine or they're using something other than office, uh, there's no reason why you can't get by with plain text. And mm-hmm. that stuff is so transferable. And we've talked about it at length at the show over the years, but like an app like Byword, which I keep harping on about, but it does one thing really great. It, it, it gives you simple way to write text and it shares it between your iPad, your iPhone and your Mac without any work by the user. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't, doesn't work with your PC, but it wouldn't be that hard to get it in there. No, I I use TextDrop actually through a web browser. Yeah. Text uh, com. Yeah. Um Yeah, you've talked about that great. a little bit on previous shows. Tell mm-hmm. tell us again what that is and, and exactly how you use it. Um again, don't have Dropbox installed at work, but what it can do is connect through the Dropbox API. So you kind of sign into Dropbox through the TextDrop web app and uh you point it to a folder and it it more or less like caches all the files into memory for the browser. And so it can do live full text searching, kind of like NVAlt. Um, it can do markdown preview. Um, you know, has has really limited text editing functionality. But, you know, it, it works well enough. And that's that's where I write a lot of stuff. It, just because it's, I know it's stored there and I have access to my notes and things like that. And And that's something where... If you, you're locked out of Dropbox, it still allows you to get that certain degree of mobility to your text files. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's that's my solution is using the Dropbox API in that case. And uh, actually, in uh, the end of summer, there should be something pretty awesome coming out um, called uh, Linen by, by a buddy of mine that's, you know, same idea. It uses all the APIs, so it connects to, like, Google Docs, Dropbox, GitHub, OneDrive, uh, whatever you want, and you can sit there and write in text and move files around and, 
you know, do a bunch of editing on, on your documents, but that's all through API. So you don't have to have anything installed on the PC. So if yeah. your PC is locked down, that's, you know, that's like um, manna from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> you well, can suddenly and, get to everything. And that's one more bit of good news is really smart people are working on this problem. Yeah. And and I, I would ask you, if you're listening to the show and saying, well, text isn't good enough for me. If you're writing, I would ask you to look at what you're writing for real and think about whether it's good enough. Because quite often, text works just fine. Another solution, if your work permits you access to Dropbox, is is a app called Resoft Notes, S-R-E-S-O-P-H-N-O-T-E-S, which is mm-hmm. kind of like a Windows version of NVALT. Yeah. And it accesses data in the same way. So you can have a directory in your Dropbox folder that gets all these text files. And then you can see them on your Mac side with, with NVALT or whatever text editor you want to choose. And you can see it on your iPad. You know, it just runs the full gamut of stuff we talked about before with text. But Resolve Notes is a good solution on the PC side. I haven't, I haven't used it for a while because I've pretty much switched to uh, TextDrop. But if I recall, it uses the Dropbox API. Oh, does it? So you don't so even have it. to, yeah, um, because I was using it when I wasn't allowed to have Dropbox installed. So okay, um, it, it, that's my recollection. So I don't know if it still does it um, or or how it, how it's handled now. But yeah, uh, we skipped over this one idea of of what do you do if you're not going to use Microsoft Office? Are you going to try and get by with pages or numbers or Keynote to work with the corresponding uh, uh, Office suite files? And generally, I'm not really a big fan of this. Nope. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, that makes it easy. I think no. we so all agree. It's, uh, how, how did Steve Jobs describe Blu-ray? It's a bag of hurt. Yeah. Like I mean, You don't want to work for the entire weekend on a file and then get to work and find out it doesn't convert properly and everything's messed up. And yeah, I I just don't think that's a good way to go. I find that functionality is good. If someone sends you like a word file and they don't expect to get it back and you want to use it to do something, uh, you can, you can go off on your own. You can open that word file just fine. Um, uh, but it's it, there are a lot of problems you can run into with it just as well. If you, if you try to share it back and forth, you're going to have formatting issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things that I think works best in this Mac at home PC at work world, and especially with iOS, is the whole syncing of email contacts and calendars. And we've we've done entire shows on email contacts and calendars individually. But I know many people who use Outlook at work, and there's a pretty good Outlook client for Mac now. That's an option. But if your office uses Exchange or if it uses, you know, standard protocols in terms of, of IMAP or CalDev or, or one of these other kind of services that you can get into, it is pretty darn easy to get access to your mail contacts and calendars on your iOS device and even to your Mac at home to the extent that that's authorized by your IT folks. And again, you always, always want to ask. Yeah. Exchange support for iOS is, is great. We we use Exchange, and yeah, the the access to the address book is actually pretty impressive. It can search the entire corporate address book when you're trying to look up somebody's email, right? So that's that's pretty cool. Um, but a lot of people don't know that the tasks in Outlook can actually be directly connected into basically like reminders on right. iOS. Right. So you, you can you can get you can kind of get all that functionality transferring back and forth. 
like using using an iPhone with work or or an iPad with work is is pretty flawless in in my opinion. I haven't had any issues with using the email calendar or anything like that. The, the big issue is for me is like you know, if I want to put a a shared calendar event with my wife, like she doesn't have access to our exchange account, right? It works. So I, I still need to pop open a browser. And in this, in that case, I open iCloud.com and schedule it on our shared calendar there. Yeah. And I do essentially the same thing. I have different calendars for different phases of my life. The, the work one is an exchange 365 account and only I can see that my wife can't, but that's fine with me. We have kind of a family calendar and, and I have the kind of job where generally I know the different times when I'm available in one place versus the other. Yeah. I, I'm also pretty excited about the new fast mail. Yeah. Calendar. I'm a big fast mail user and the, I know. The, they make really awesome web apps. What they now? What just great. Yeah. Fast mail is the mail service, you mm. know, the, and that's basically an IMAP service. Yeah. That's what I use for my uh, personal yeah. email. Yeah, and, and that's browser based. I can open the browser and it's got like keyboard shortcuts. It's basically like a native native email client. I don't say that about very many web apps, but it, it behaves very much like a native native client on the on Windows when you're using it in a browser. And they keep just getting better. You know, that's, yeah. it's yeah. one of those companies that's fun to watch because they really are trying to to kill it, you know, with the stuff they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um another area of app parity that I think I, we can move on with the mail and calendars because i think frankly that problem is kind of solved yeah um wh- where would somebody run into problems uh with uh mail and calendar sharing i guess maybe it's on one of these networks that has ultra secure email that's not accessible offsite. i mean yeah like like i don't have exchange access from my mac right they they just don't allow that i, ca- I can't even try to hook it up it it's rejected right e- even or, though of course i tried have- even even though they have Outlook and even though my exactly Apple has yeah no. exchange support built in, um, it, yeah, it's can, not a corporate I, machine and they can't remotely wipe it. The only reason they allow iOS um, is because they can when you register the iOS device with the the corporate network, essentially you're allowing them remote wipe access to it. Yeah, I I am actually one of the administrators of our Exchange 365 account, I am, and, and we have we don't have local IT people, we have off-site IT people, so we wanted somebody local in the office to be an administrator of that if we needed to. And that was one of the interesting things that I that I didn't realize. We, we had an interesting issue where we wanted certain people in our office to be able to access email contacts and calendars outside of the office, but we didn't want everybody in the office. So it's very configurable in Office 365 to be able to say only these certain people have access, and then what types of devices are we going to allow access on? And then you can actually make certain requirements of those devices. I, I require that this device have a passcode, um, and you have the ability to wipe that device. So just be be careful mm-hmm. if you're out there and you're putting work information or you're logging into these IT systems, either technically through a system such as that, or perhaps contractually through some kind of agreement that you signed with your office or by, you know, acknowledging their IT protocols, you may be giving your your office folks access to your personal um, systems to the extent that that they can wipe it or, or if they feel the need to remove data from it, that they can do that. Now, I would imagine, uh, you know, Gabe, in, in my case, I am the administrator, so that's helpful. But if my i if I back up my iPhone to iCloud and all of a sudden I I walk in the office tomorrow and I'm fired and they decide to remote wipe my iPhone, I would imagine I could just immediately restore to my iCloud backup. Although 
I would then no longer have access to to log into my Exchange 365 account. Yep. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't have all that old email either. Yeah. So. Yeah, because that, that's not going to download on your phone. Yeah. Right. Nope. Um, uh, there is one subject that Katie kind of just glanced across. I would like to make a point of is that, you know, we, we're talking a lot about how to share works data with yourself at home or on your Mac or, or other Mac, Apple devices. But you also want to give some thought to keeping your own personal data off of the work machines and servers, which frankly is a, a good reason why you would want to have a Mac at home. Um, you know, you don't, and some of the stuff is just common sense. I mean, don't use your work account to send email of a personal nature because they've got it. I, I, I can't your- tell you how many people I know who have gotten into trouble by using their work email account for personal business. Uh, you know, another one is keep your calendar separate. I mean, iCloud accounts are free. Keep your personal account there and have your work account just for your work calendar. Um, uh, I We've talked on this show a bit, and this is not the right time in the show to talk about it, but about Dropbox, you know, if you share a Dropbox account with work to get a few work files home, how much data of your own personal nature are you putting on your work computer? I mean, are you putting your kids' artwork and your your bills and your taxes and, you know, your collection letters and everything else onto the work computer? Because if you're scanning a lot of documents, uh, you're putting that stuff, unless you make some very careful setting changes, you're putting that on your work machine, which is getting backed up to a work server, and that data is completely out of your control at that point. Yeah, I, I would I would throw this out there. If you're you're set on installing Dropbox on a work machine and using it that way, create a separate account for that, and then share that fold share a folder from there to your home account. Don't yeah. don't uh, don't. don't configure it with your home Dropbox account. Yeah. And veteran users know, we've talked about this before, but basically that's what I did. I set up a free two gigabyte account for work and I share that folder to my main account that I pay for. Yeah. And, and that way, and and, you know, the other solution would be, well, you limit the sync, but Hey, if somebody's got access to your computer, they can unlimit the sync. So the data is going to get across at some point. Um, But moving on to app parity, there's a couple other categories I wanted to talk about. The first being text expansion. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, te- text expander is like one of the ultimate power tools. And we talk about it on the show all the time. In fact, I have a friend who's a listener of our show. He's a really nice guy, an old friend of mine. And he doesn't own a Mac, but he likes me enough that he listens to the show. I don't know, you know. He's a little crazy. But uh, he recently was asking me about this text expander. And I said, well, why don't you get Brevy, Brevy, B-R-E-V-Y, mm-hmm. on a PC? And I got this gushing email from him telling me how much time I saved him. All of a sudden, he's a lawyer, too, and he's writing Discovery and doing all this stuff with text expansion that we talk about on the show all the time. But it's kind of like uh, bringing that over to the PC side. And and Brevi connects directly to your text expander library if you store it in Dropbox and assuming you have access to Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And there's another one out there that looks pretty good called Phase Express, P-H-A-S-E-E-X-P-R-E-S-S, which is another... Um, text expander type product on the PC. And if you're sitting at a PC and they're not going to let you figure a way to use your Mac, why not get the, you know, the benefits of text expansion on that PC? And yeah. No, I, if, I, I used Brevi before. It's, it's a nice app. Even if you can't it, it, do the automatic sync through Dropbox or something like that, if you've set up all these text expander snippets already on your Mac, you, you can probably, to the extent that they'll let you, copy that data over to a, a flash drive and plug it in and, and at least get the one-time sync or, or update it from time to time. Yeah, that, actually, Manually. that's what I did with 
I did that with Brevi. I didn't want it to sync to my Dropbox library because my Dropbox text expander library was not in that secret separate account I set up for work. So I just took the file over and installed it on the PC and it worked just fine. Yep. And, and my, uh, a friend of mine, uh, would be angry if I didn't, didn't, uh, call out auto hotkey. That's, that's another one for windows. It's kind of like a little bit close. I don't know. My opinion is closer to what the full blown, um, text um, expander text expander is you can do much more complicated things with it uh it's open source but um it's cool I, i've used it too and but uh, for me the the inability to like sync up s- the snippets and stuff like that was kind of a pain and i i would always forget to like you know bring in my new file or send my email myself the new file and yeah eventually i just decided just just type it out granted <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a i'm a total mac snob granted but the the fact is all these programs are better on the Mac. I mean, Text Expander does things that Brevi just can't do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's like an- another good one. We don't have in the outline, but another one that just comes to mind is Hazel, which, you know, we talk oh, about yeah. pretty much every show, right? And somebody got the great idea to make something like Hazel on the PC. It was definitely a kind of a um, a result of Hazel on the Mac, and it's called Belvedere. Oh, I think Mr. it was like Belvedere. Yeah, I think somebody put it together. I think it was like one of the life hacker guys. I don't know the whole backstory to it, but I downloaded it. And in fact, I even recommended it in the paperless book for people on PCs. And I, I spent some time with it. And it's just, you know, it's a dim reflection of Hazel. I mean, where Hazel does a thousand things, Belvedere does yeah. like 10. And it's okay, but it's not the same. And it doesn't seem like anybody on the PC is in a big hurry to do that. Another um, app. Another. Uh, go ahead, Katie. Is one password, and you know, full disclosure, they're sponsor, yep. but but I use one password on the Mac. There's a one password uh, Windows version that I used on my Windows PC when I was at the office. And uh, Gabe, I don't know. You have to tell me whether LastPass is an option for a machine that is completely locked down. Um, one password might be if you can at least get it installed, even if you if you don't have some of the syncing components. But I had a, a someone who wrote me. Um, said they were an accountant and had kind of an issue with, you know, I've got all of my personal stuff in one password, but I'm a solo practitioner accountant and I've got lots of client information and lots of business information in one password. So what do I do? We were talking in one of the MPU live shows about, you know, putting together kind of an estate plan for, for your technology. He says, well, do I give the one password login to my wife or do I give it to a trusted um, you know, practitioner who will be able to manage my clients. What do I do? Cause I don't want to cross those streams. And I think we're one pass. One of those uh, things you could do is perhaps consider multiple vaults in one password. And this is something that I'm starting to do before. I only had a few work logins in there, but now as I'm getting more and more work logins, I'm starting to consider parsing it out into, into multiple vaults and having a work vault and a personal vault. If you just need a read only access, there's actually a, yeah, pretty cool, cool trick. I think that uh, goes missed a lot, which is the one password anywhere. Yeah, you can just give somebody a Dropbox URL to the one password package. Of course, you're going to give them the password; they have full access to it. But you get read access, and that's actually how I access my one password um, data is through a web browser. Again, I, I'm I'm almost entirely web browser at this point because it's it's just not worth the the hassle for me. Uh, yeah, LastPass would probably work because I believe that's a web app. Um, so I could probably use that, but I use one password everywhere else when I'm at home. So, 
in this case, I just I just put everything in one password, and and if I need to add something new, I pull out my iPad and add it. Yeah, I've I've worked with the same people for twenty years. There's I don't really see that something drastic is going to happen in my life, but at the same time, there's there's a part of me that loves the fact that I could just stand up and walk out of that office, and none of <laughs> yeah. my data would be on any of yep. those machines, even if even if Gabe Weatherhead were trying to crack it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I I actually. At this point, maybe it, maybe it's uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I've grown thick skin, but I don't mind working in, in the browser for all this stuff now. It doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Um, it the, the apps are good, and I can get to what I want. Uh, yeah, would I like to have you know better Dropbox integration with other apps? Uh, yeah, certainly. Would I like one password to auto populate when I'm in my IE browser at work? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you know. It's gotten a lot better. All right. I, I want to talk now about syncing and sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you still with us, Gabe? I don't want to get you in trouble. No, I'm still here. All right. Okay. But before we do he, that, I want to talk. coming until she comes to bang down the door. I, listen, I, I've been married <laughs> 20 years. I, I don't want, you know, I understand. <laughs> anyway, before we get there, uh, I want to talk about uh, our sponsor again, Smile Software. And Katie talked about PDF Pen. I'm going to up it a notch. I want to talk about PDF Pen Pro for the Mac. And so, so we've talked about all those great features available in PDF Pen. But if you want to go up to the Pro version, what you can get for just ninety nine ninety five, you can add some real great functionality. Um, uh, with PDF Pen Pro, you get all those great details and just a little bit more. Uh, Katie, what are some of your favorite features in PDF Pen Pro? I would have to say the ability to create forms is huge for me because I've started creating custom forms for my practice now, and I'm creating this forms database and then just emailing them off to people. And instead of getting hand-scrawled responses back on pieces of paper that I can't read and have no idea what they say, people actually prefer to type in forms and send them back to you rather than print them out, handwrite them in, in mail or scan or fax or oh, I know them back to you. It's, it's wonderful. And so I had all these forms yeah, I was creating anyway. And, Oh, here's a tip. The new PDF pen version six PDF pen pro version six will auto create those form fields for you. Yeah. You just push a button and it creates it. So if someone sends you the form or if someone in your office generates just a word document that has fill in blanks on it, save it as PDF. There's a trick for that. We've talked about that before, how you can save anything as a PDF on the Mac. Then you drop it in PDF pin pro and you say, create fillable form. And it goes through and it figures out if it looks like little boxes, it'll turn them into check boxes. If it's lines, it'll make text fields for them. And it does all of that without you having to sit there and tediously pull little sliders and figure out where the boxes go. That's a one button solution. Now, Katie has, um, that's a big deal for her because she deals with a lot of forms every day. I deal with all these massive PDFs. And the thing I love about PDF Pin Pro is the ability to create this table of contents view. And I can go through, I mean, I've got PDFs, you know, sometimes thousands of pages long that I will go through and I will put bookmarks in it, very intricate, detailed bookmarks. And you can have layers to them. And you can go through those and, you know, create sub layers and, you know, you have the little disclosure triangles and it makes it really easy to navigate them. Those, those table of contents go over. I got a client who's on a PC using Adobe Acrobat and he was able to see the table of contents entries I prepared on PDF pin. There's, there's our angle, right? For uh, PC at work. Uh, it just works great. And it solves a big problem for me. And I, I love that. I use it every day. 
Um, there's more you can do with it, though. You can have it edit document permissions. You can restrict saving, printing, and copying with PDF Pen Pro. You can convert websites to multi-page PDFs complete with hyperlinks. So if you want to document what a website looks like on a certain day using PDF Pen Pro, it's a couple pushes of buttons, and then you're set to go. It's just a really wonderful app, and it's not that much more expensive. Frankly, I, I think it's worth the extra money just for the table of contents view. Uh, if you're going to get into PDF Pen, my suggestion is you go to the website, download PDF Pen Pro, and check out those advanced features. And if you see yourself ever using for ever using them, they're going to pay for themselves the very first time you need them. Uh, so check it out. It's PDF Pen Pro. You can find them both PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com. They are wonderful people. We said, we've said that before, but it's just absolutely true. I love working with these guys. They want to make the best software possible, and, and they really do deliver. So go check it out, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at Smile Software. And thanks again, Smile, for sponsoring the podcast. All right, syncing and sharing. Syncing and sharing. So we've been dancing around this a little bit, right? Because that's kind of like the, the secret that you have to deal with when you're working on these two different platforms. Mm -hmm. How do I get this data home? Uh, yep. For a while it was uh, you, the portable hard drives you'd bring in and that became verboten. Then it was the thumb drives on your keychain, and that became verboten. And, and now everybody, has, I think it's, it's fair to say a lot of people who are not computer experts have figured out the idea of cloud storage. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you mind if I drive a little bit and I could tell you, like, I can break it down by category a little, yeah, a little bit? I, I want you to drive. Just get in yeah. a car and rewind it up. <laughs> um, so for me, these kind of, like, th the syncing is the big, big thing. And that's why I, I, I like to work in a, in a web browser because it, it pretty much always means I'm working off of a remote server that I can then access again at home or from some other remote location. So for me, it, it kind of breaks down to, like, you know, we already talked about email. I've got that all on a server somewhere. Notes, I'm using TextDrop. So that's all in, in Dropbox. And I take my notes right there in Dropbox. And they're always available for, for me when I'm, you know, wherever I am. And because it's in a web browser, I don't have to worry about, again, like you mentioned, David, it's not caching all my data to my work machine. It's in a browser in memory. When I close the browser, it's gone, right? But I've connected when I need it. Um, I use Google Drive if if I need to get, you know, uh, a file to myself somewhere else. I can connect in a web browser or or even I use the Dropbox web app um, to, to upload files. They both work awesome. You just drag a file in, boom, it's loaded to where it needs to go. Um, the one that I find myself using a whole lot for a lot more for notes than I ever did before, but planning a lot of stuff, particularly complex stuff is a uh, mind meister. Where is this? Yeah. It's, like, it's a, yeah. it's a mind mapping solution that's based on the web. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like it, it's, it's not as good as, you know, a lot of the native apps that, that I like, like mind node and I thoughts and stuff like that. But for a web app, it's great. It's got keyboard shortcuts. You can put all kinds of stuff in there. You can attach files. Um, you know, color code and do, do whatever you want and it has search. Um, it's, it's great. So a lot of my planning stuff ends up going into that kind of web app and then they have iOS apps. You can interact with it, which actually aren't that great, but you can get your data out too. You can export a map, um, from iThoughts and they, 
if you pay for, I think, the premium account or whatever, you can say you can automatically sync those to Google Drive. So they're always stored in your Google Drive account. So if for whatever reason MindMeister goes away or you can share it, you can also collaborate with somebody else on Mind Maps through MindMeister. Yeah, that's something awesome. And, yeah, that's something you can't do with some of these other solutions. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I tried MindMaster, I just couldn't believe that I was doing this in the browser. Yeah, it's it's pretty fluid. I mean, it, it again, it's not as good as a native app, but for it being in a web browser, it's stunning. I mean, the fun the depth of functionality is pretty incredible. Um, Although and, I'd, I'd have to say that Apple's kind of trumped them because the last time I, I've been playing with the iWork apps lately yeah. in the browser, and they've really done some good work. Yeah, no, they, all the iCloud apps are pretty stunning on the web, in my opinion. Yeah, they, but like, I, inter- I interrupt. Great. I interrupt. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, for then for me the the other big one lately has been collaboration i've been working on a a, i don't know a secret project it'll it'll come out eventually but um with a partner and lots of sharing there lots of like you know direct communication but sharing of files and and basically real time need for real-time feedback and uh i just found slack just being incredible for that it it's amazing like uh, it, it, it pretty much changed the we had we had this collaboration running um, using Google Docs for everything and Evernote, um, and then Slack came out and it completely changed the nature of our like work and our work just you know took off after that. It was it was really astounding. I, um, I've heard several people who just swear by Slack. Um, tell us a little bit about it for for people who haven't used it. Ah, uh, what's the best way to describe it it's it's like a um almost like a messaging service that it is smart about files so you drop a file in it uploads it uh, if it's an image or something that can be viewed on you know in a web browser it makes it viewable you know in line uh you can then mark that and uh share it to another channel with somebody else you can keep things private you can have different discussion groups that are only accessible to certain people and then you know move something from that look that discussion group to a different discussion group when it's time you know let's say you've decided this is the final design we're going to you know give this to our developer here you go we move it to the developer channel and and now they can see it but it also has a really great search. So all your conversations, if you put in links, it kind of indexes the the basic part of, you know, the intro to whatever that web web page is. Um, and so that becomes searchable too. It integrates with all kinds of services like Google Docs. It, you, you can essentially paste in a Google Doc URL and it knows to like pull that file in from your Google, Google Doc account. Um, how, how does it compare in your mind to Basecamp? Oh, it, nothing against space camp it, it, it's 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 like light years ahead for me oh, really? but but it oh, doesn't right. have a lot of like the planning it's more of a communication platform than anything in my my opinion it's not it, it doesn't have to do with planning um yeah. at all um or or project management or anything um it's it's really about like real-time discussions um you know you you can have yeah. They have iOS apps with notifications, so that's really really important to me um, to to get the notifications when like our developer that we're working with wants to you know needs immediate feedback. I'm stuck on this thing. I need I need to know about this piece of the design or something like that. So I'm I'm gonna have to look at it and Dietrich, because I've really 
jumped on the base camp bandwagon in the last probably six months. I've got several mm -hmm. projects I'm working on where it's been really critical. I mean, even just like this most recent book, I was working with design people and, and it was a great solution to easily share data. Yeah, sure. To, to each their own. I, I, would, I, would, I would say it's based on what strength you want to lean on. Yeah, for for each service. So agreed, agreed. Okay. Uh, but but it is great to see these solutions coming around, and both Basecamp and Slack are solutions once again that's web based. Mm. So if you can sell the the team at work on either one of these solutions, you've solved your Mac at home PC at work problem because yeah. it doesn't care what device you're logging in from. Yep, that's right. And then finally, I'll throw Evernote in there. I I do like Evernote, and I have a bunch of stuff in there. I, I'm always waffling back and forth between. I'm just like a such a diehard text file guy. I just I don't know. I always go back to my text files in Dropbox, um, but I do like Evernote. I put tons of stuff in Evernote, um, and the web app for Evernote is just you know incredible. Yeah, they, and they've done an yeah. amazing job with it. You and me both, brother. I just keep making fun of it while I keep using it more and more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, so I it kind of breaks down I to like... You so. <laughs> and Katie Floyd weighs in. <laughs> um, let's so talk the one, about... The one area that I think is still, still a weakness um, is like task management. Yeah. A way to do task management that truly syncs between devices, between a work PC. Um, and iOS and your Mac, that, that's, that's still like wide open. And, and you know, you've just landed in our last category of issues is common problems. And yeah. number one on that list is task management, because yep. uh, there's a couple of reasons why I think number one is for our listeners, a lot of them are used to very powerful task management tools. It's kind of funny because on the Mac, for the longest time, it was like a wasteland. There were no good task management apps on the Mac. I remember. And then you know, things started showing up. Um, Literally things? Well, Kinkless things, yeah, GTD. things showed up. But even before that was, uh, was it GTD? What was it called? Kinkless GTD. Well, Kinkless, yeah, that was one. But there was another right. one that was a nice app. It was called, uh, I don't remember. It's gone now. But it, all of a sudden we had a couple, and then suddenly we had this influx, this just rich variety of great apps available. And this was even before the iPhone and the iPad were a thing. And, and OmniFocus arrives, which to me solves so many problems. And so now I've got better solutions on the Mac than I ever had on the PC. And then we switch over to the PC, and you're saying, well, you know, OmniGroup is not going to be making OmniFocus for the PC anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And there's, there are solutions out there where you can try and, you know, web serve your OmniFocus data. But you know what? None of that stuff really works. Yeah, I, I think, I think yeah. they'll do a web service before they'll do a PC version. Yeah. And I wouldn't be holding my breath for a web service, right? No, no. I wish they would just buy Sputnik and, and just finish it. It's uh, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at it. It's basically, it's more or less like a web... Actually, David, you, you would probably like it because it integrates with um, Basecamp. Yeah, um, I, wrote, I wrote it up at one point. Yeah, so... But it's a, you know... Basically, it's a sync back in for OmniFocus that you can view your OmniFocus tasks and kind of minimally interact with them through a web page. Yeah. Um, and I just... If that would just get finished, the, the functionality there, that'd be fine. Like, that would do it. But it's it's just so raw and you know ugly and missing important features 
And and I think to a certain extent, you know, they they're almost happier to have you pull out your iPad sitting at your desk and manage the tasks there. And there are hooks they've added. For instance, the email, the secret email address service, you know, where you forward an email to your secret OmniFocus email address and it, it shows up as a task. And, you know, there are hooks to make it work. But, you know, I hear from people all the time who say, I love OmniFocus, but I have to work at the PC all day. What should I do? And uh, my answer really is you got to decide how much you love OmniFocus. And, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, because you're either going to have to work around it or you're going to have to do something else. Now, there are web-based solutions for task management. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we've talked about several of them. You know, Remember the Milk, I think, was kind of the first one that really got traction. But they're not the only one. And there are several of them out there where they build their own iOS apps. And they try and kind of walk that line with both yeah. the, the, the internet base and the app base. But there's you know, there's some good really good web apps out there. They just don't do it for me. They're missing really fundamental features that I care about. Um, you know, there's Asana. I've used that for collaborative task management. The Wonderlist, I think, was another one. Um, and the web apps are very functional, um, really elegantly designed with nice interactions. Uh, they just again, they you know, if they're missing start dates, then that doesn't really. I can't use it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I am completely spelled. Now, I know you went text. Didn't you set up your own kind of home-baked text yep. task yeah. system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm using a, the task paper format. And there's a whole series of posts at MacDrifter, which I would encourage you to go read if this is at all of interest to you. Um, and that, was the, that was the key driver, was that uh, I really wanted better direct access to my tasks. And I just... It was too awkward to try and constantly pull out an iOS device to interact with my task list to to edit it and to add potentially like large numbers of actions to a new project. It was just tedious, and yeah. I, I don't I don't really uh, you know follow the model of using the email in stuff. I, I just don't feel comfortable doing that, sending business emails to uh, to another service. Um, so that was that was an issue for me, and honestly, when I enter my tasks, even uh, on, on you know using a sync server, I I usually am you know make things kind of ambiguous. I use initials and um, project nicknames and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you, I I don't think I could work without OmniFocus. I I've just got so many different things I do. It killed and- me. I, I hate it. it. It drove me nuts. So I, I really, really, really wanted OmniFocus. That, like I said, I brought in my MacBook yeah. just to use OmniFocus. Yeah. Well, for people who are in, yeah, that same boat, we, we got a bunch of suggestions for how you can use OmniFocus. I don't know, Gabe, if any of these will work for you. But <laughs> sure, let me, let me hear it. We, we got a couple of suggestions. I think some of these we, we talked about in MPU Live last week, but uh, exchange reminders into OmniFocus. So you mentioned how you can get your exchange reminders into your Apple reminders list, or your, I guess your exchange mm-hmm. tasks into your Apple reminders list. Well, OmniFocus yep. has the ability to pull from your reminders list and add those to your inbox in OmniFocus. Mm-hmm. You just have to tell it which list to pull from. So for example, if you normally have your reminders pull from your default reminder list into OmniFocus or a specific OmniFocus list, you could instead either move that to your exchange task list and therefore anything on your exchange task list gets pulled into OmniFocus. Or you could maybe do that on one of your devices, like say your iPad, and then keep the other one on your iPhone different. Now, I think the problem with that, though, is it's going to disappear from your exchange task list once it gets processed. Yep. Yeah. yeah. 
it, it, it it's a clever solution that they came up with but it's kind of like having a car that only turns right like i i'm a project well, if you, manager if for you the turn most part right and... four times you'll you'll <laughs> yeah, get back to where you want to go so. uh-huh you'll make it work eventually yeah uh mail <laughs> no, drop it, it, yeah, go ahead yeah sorry it's it's actually if if your goal is to get tasks in, that works. I've done that. Mail drop is another option. Um, I understand that may work, may not. Uh, managing OmniFocus just straight on iOS may be another option. Personally, I have found this a lot easier with the redesigned OmniFocus two on iPhone. And it's no secret OmniFocus two for iPad is coming. In fact, I believe they've stopped mm-hmm. selling the original OmniFocus for iPad right now because OmniFocus two for iPad is coming. And so I'm very excited to see. I, I think that will make things easier to manage. And then Alex wrote in with a tip about using uh, Evernote to get things into OmniFocus. So let's assume that you have access to Evernote. And he uses this for tasks that have um, additional support material, like things to read and review or things that he's received via email. He uses the Evernote Clipper to put those uh, into Evernote, and then he tags them with the tagged review in Evernote. And then on his iMac, he's got a script set up that collects all of the notes in Evernote tagged with the review tag, and those get created um, as note links and tasks in OmniFocus. And I'll mm-hmm. put a link in the show notes to the, the script that will do that. But I thought that was an interesting idea. Uh, you know, a lot of this problem for people is that not only do they have a PC at work, but they have a PC that tracks tasks that everybody shares and and their coworkers need to see what's on their task list as well. And I completely understand that. I, I guess my response is OmniFocus is so useful to me and and full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but you know what? I love this app way before they ever came and wanted to sponsor our show. And, and, you know, the ability to have that review process built in and just the way it works, it just, it jives with the way my brain works. And because I have so many different parts of my life, it really makes it easy for me to use perspectives and find what I want. I'm just not willing to give that up because work wants me to see what's on my task list. And we've gone through this at my office where we get to some points where everybody wants to have this shared task list through exchange. And you know, when I do that and I'm violating every cardinal rule here is I have two task lists. I've got kind of the, the fake one for work, which will be like write a motion and then I've got the real one for me, which is an entire project about writing a motion and all the steps I'm going to take to get that thing done. And, yeah. and that's, that's a solution I use. I don't, I'm not recommending it. I mean, I think some people out there are just laughing right now, but you know, if you have to do it, sometimes that's the solution. I would say if you're really committed to using OmniFocus from a work PC, check out Spoopnik. Like yeah. It really is very good. I mean, it has the email into service. If, if you want to use that, um, it's a syncing back end. You can add tasks, check tasks off, use search. It has access to your contacts and, you know, um, you can view project structure. So all those kind of things that I found were really important. And that's why I used OmniFocus, you know, a good, a good amount of it's there. It's about 75% of what OmniFocus can do is there. You know, I think we've probably gone on long enough. <laughs> we have more on the outline. There may be another show on this at some point. Okay. But I'll, I'll it, throw one. Can I throw one more trick in there for people suffering yes, at work with iOS please, devices? So please, yeah. um, it's pretty common that if, uh, if your works like, you know, accepts iOS devices into the environment that they still block certain aspects of it. Um, and if that's a pain for you, like, uh, 
they block a port or they block URLs or whatever, check out Git Cloaked. Oh, uh, yes. That, I'm so glad you mentioned that. It's a simple, easy solution. You just turn it on and now, now you're on the Wi-Fi network, but you have a VPN and you can go wherever you want. Our, um, our so, office cool. blocks certain video services. Um, although surprisingly, I just had to call up our IT department and say, I need you to unblock Netflix because we've got kids here. It's summer. Um, you know, everybody's kids are in the conference room <laughs> watching TV. Really, guys, I need yeah. you to unblock Netflix. But by default, they block certain video streaming services. And so how am I supposed to watch my WWDC keynote? I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. No, get yep. cloaked, done. Don't they get it? I think they get it. That's the problem. <laughs> That's okay, David. I fixed it. It's fine. I have yeah. no doubt that you did, Katie Floyd. Cloak it, is like something. It, I mean, people need to be checking that out. It was either that or I start going into the server room and pulling wires, you know? I actually think the, the business of blocking certain URLs or domains is, is really silly, honestly. Um, it, it's it's if you trust your employees to work and do what you pay, pay them for. I mean, they could be doing any number of other things to waste time. So blocking those services is silly. Um you know, I understand that it's done because you don't want to waste company bandwidth or whatever, but there's there's so many other things to worry about. So ports are a different story because sometimes they block ports because they don't want somebody trying to do something nefarious on the network. But uh, well, domains, that's really weird. Just to wrap this up, can can I close this show out with, with maybe some final thoughts and, and some cautions about – um, you know, trying to integrate your your Mac into the PC environment, if that's what you you choose to do, or trying to integrate your work into your Mac environment. Why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My my big one is don't get in trouble. Don't get in trouble at work. It's it's not <laughs> worth it. Um, ask permission before you do this kind of stuff. Be aware of what the data handling policies are for for putting information from. You know, your information onto your computer, putting your work's information onto your computer, and and what that opens you up to in in terms of liability or in terms of work encroaching on your life. It's just it's not worth it. Just ask a few questions before you you sneak in and plug in the Ethernet cable because someone like Gabe will know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but also I'd add as a counterpoint, you're listening to the show because you are very efficient at your Mac or you want to become that way. And there's a lot of people out there listening to our show who get stuff done on their Macs and Apple devices a lot faster than anything else. And don't forget about that and, and share that with the people who write your paychecks or the people who set up your network. And maybe you can bring them over to your side and allow you to be more efficient because isn't that the whole goal of a lot of this stuff? Get it done so you can go home and be with your kids and, you know, and do a podcast. And, like and, Gabe is doing for us. And just leading off of that, <laughs> be mindful of the right work-life balance. Uh, sometimes you want work to end at work. Sometimes it can. Sometimes you've got to bring work home or be able to work from home or do things like that. But I know one of the things that that I love and that I hate simultaneously is having access to email on my iPhone 24-7. Because that means that that if I allow it, people can access me 24-7. And I have to train them that unless it's a true emergency I'm not going to respond after five o'clock or six o'clock, or I'm not going to respond on the weekend. And all that stuff goes into the same later, or the same next week folder. And I'll get back to you on Monday when I'm back in the office. But in, unless something's really burning down and it's a true emergency and my definition of an emergency and not your, your definition of emergency, uh, I'm not at work right now. So. Katie Floyd, I want to bake you a cookie right now. I like chocolate chips. 
I I want to go. I think like one of our first shows, you were telling me about how panicked you were when you got those emails after hours, and just listen to you, man. You're like a boss now. Yeah, I'm I'm over these people. All right, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, Gabe, on the other hand, he's an he's an IT. He runs a network. He has to answer that email because the whole well, company could be burning down. Yeah, I, I monitor because there could could be an issue, and and honestly, I'd rather solve it when I have spare moment than like first thing in the morning the next day if yeah. if it's like a system not working. But you know, the other side of that coin is if it gives you flexible work hours, then that that's a benefit and a that's reason true. to have yeah. it. All right. Well, there we have it, folks. Mac at home, PC at work. And I think. No, no one played a tiny violin for me through the, the show. I'm really disappointed. Well, I, I do think that we gave our listeners a checklist. So yeah. you're armed. Now go talk to somebody at work and, and make it happen. Let us know where you ran into trouble, because I'm sure we'll be back to the subject at some point. We'll be doing a feedback show the first Saturday of August that will include feedback on this show. So uh, let us know what you heard. And also go check out Gabe over at MacDrifter.com and Technical Difficulties with mm-hmm. pod- excellent podcast. And um, Gabe, you're one of my favorite people on the internet. Thanks for, oh, thanks. Thanks for being yeah. our thanks for being our Alec Baldwin. I love you guys. I listen to you guys every Monday. All right. (laughs) Well, you can find more information about all the stuff we talked about on this podcast at our website, MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. And don't forget to check out our personal websites. Uh, David's got some interesting stuff, very important stuff coming up on MacSparky.com. And I'm doing a little more blogging over at KatieFloyd.me and Gabe is over at MacDrifter. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. And Gabe, what is your Twitter handle? Mac Drifter. I'm Mac Drifter everywhere. Yeah, that, that works. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank our exclusive sponsor for this show, Smile Software, and their great product, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro for the Mac. And we will see you all next time.